Hello, everyone, and welcome to the thrilling adventures of Superman, a podcast where Superman still stands for truth, justice, and the American way. This is episode 73, and my name is Michael Bradley. This episode, we are sticking in the land of radio for a look at the 14th storyline from the Superman radio serial. It's a shorter storyline, so this will probably be a shorter episode, but hooray for that, right? One quick email to read first, and this comes from Mark J. Latin, and he writes, Michael, I just started listening to the podcast, and I'm really enjoying it. I'm only on episode two, so I have some catching up to do. I find the Golden Age underappreciated, and I think you do a nice job of balancing the history with the narrative of the story. Thanks for creating a great refuge for those who don't care for the New 52. And no offense if you like the New 52. Take care, Mark. And thank you, Mark. I'm happy that you're enjoying the show, even though you're only two episodes in. Well, I guess if you're hearing this, you're more than two episodes in, but I appreciate the kind words. And no, no offense on the New 52 comment. I mean, my feelings on the New 52 reboot have been uh, fairly mixed, but I understand there are people out there who feel the same way about other eras of comics, even the Golden Age, so to each his own. And really, while I do like many aspects of the Golden Age Superman... I'm not doing this so much because of a love of that era, but an interest in really looking at the character's evolution and development. And that's not to say I don't like the stories that I'm covering, because I do, except when they're lame and involve Superman impersonating a football player or killing a bunch of people. Uh, But it's just not my number one reason for doing the show. But still, if you're not enjoying the Superman comics currently coming out from DC and can get some enjoyment out of me, you know, chattering on about Superman's roots, then that's really awesome. So, thanks again for the email. I I really do appreciate it. The dawn of an age. The founding of a family. You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays. We've got to take that chance. Conditions are right tonight. Let's go. They're penetrating the ship. Our shielding isn't strong enough. I feel like I'm burning up. Too heavy. Can't move. Too heavy. We're all alive. I feel so strange. You're fading away. I can't see you at all anymore. Look what's happened to you. You are changing. Oh, Reed, not you too. What happened to me? To all of us. I can fly. We gotta use that power to help mankind, right? And so was born the Fantastic Four. Or soon the Mole Man will have the entire world in his power. I am the mightiest living mortal on Earth. And now mankind shall feel that might. The Fantastic Four. Little do they dream they're the palms in the hands of Dr. Doom. Human Torch will be the Puppet Master's next victim. You athletes can't change the way I can. That means I'm the most powerful person on Earth. I've been expecting you, for I am the thinker. I vow never to return, my lord, until the Fantastic Four are no more, and the planet Earth is no more. You're in the presence of the awesome Ralatons, King of Kings, Master of Men, and Lord of the Seven Sons. You're just a muscular freak. Blind or Hulk. Stop! You must not enter the castle of Diablo. 
My journey has ended. This planet shall sustain him till it has been drained of all elemental life. So speak, Galactus. Flame on! It's clobbering time! The Fantastic Four from the very beginning witness the origins of a legend. The Fantastic Cast. FFCast.Libsyn.com Alright, so the 14th storyline from the Superman radio serial was episode 76 through 78, and it aired August 5th to August 9th, 1940. Because it was only a one-week storyline, there wasn't a whole lot going on in the other mediums. The daily and Sunday newspaper strips were moving forward with their storylines, and comics were between releases. This storyline, while short, is significant because it marks the beginning of a change in the show, for a couple reasons. Until now, all of the storylines except for one have been six episodes long. Starting with this arc, however, they begin to vary in length. This one is three, the next is six again, and after that they range from as few as six to as many as twenty or more. As I mentioned last episode, Jack Johnstone was added to the writing staff, or writing and directing staff, in July, and I can't help but connect those two events. Even if John Stone wasn't directly responsible for the change, it does show the writing staff loosening up and trying new things. One of the biggest recurring problems with the show so far, as we've mentioned, is that the stories they're telling don't exactly fit into a six-episode structure, or don't often fit into a six-episode structure, which required them to, you know, a lot of times pad things out or as was the case last episode, rush things at the very end. Whether the fluctuating story lengths will ease that problem or not, we'll only have to wait and see, but I can only think that it will improve the quality of the storytelling when they are able to take the amount of episodes they need to tell the story rather than sticking to a a strict six-episode structure. For a while, they are going to stick with keeping the storylines beginning on Monday and ending on Friday, but eventually they'll do away with that as well, which I'm sure will help things even more. But more on that when we get there. Like I said, this arc was three episodes and has been called Pillar of Fire at Gravesend. Our story opens to find Clark Kent and Edison Terry White's office. With him is Lois Lane, girl reporter. From the backwoods mountain regions near the isolated town of Gravesend... The Daily Planet has been receiving strange reports, mysterious disappearances of Gravesend inhabitants, a terrifying pillar of fire that burns in the hills. Then this morning, Editor White received a letter from Gravesend. He is about to read it to Clark Kent and Lois Lane when the phone rings. Listen. Perry picks up the phone, and a man introduces himself as Bill Harris, saying he is calling from Gravesend. As Clark and Lois listen in on the extensions, Harris tells Perry to ignore the letters sent by Lee Jenkins, as the guy is nothing but a big old bag of crazy. He says they don't need any help, and goes a step farther, warning the newspaper to stay away before rudely hanging up the phone. Clark reads the letter sent by Jenkins, which tells how everyone in the town has been afraid since a mysterious pillar of fire appeared. Three people went to check on the pillar, but never returned and their leader says they should take it as a sign and move out of town. Jenkins begs Perry to send a reporter, warning not to send him to the village, but instead to have him meet him at a bridge outside of town that evening. 
Clark says he'd like to go, and Lois says she wants to go too, being unafraid of any danger. Perry agrees, telling them to leave immediately, but warns them to be careful. Later, Clark and Lois are on the winding roads towards Gravesend. Clark stops to check the map, and Lois is startled by the noise of what sounds like cowbells. They then see a man, dressed in a long white robe and carrying a string of bells, walking towards them on the road. Lois is afraid, but Clark tries to ask the man for directions. When he does, the man warns them in a ghostly voice that they should go back, as there is danger ahead. He then disappears into the woods while laughing a maniacal cackle. Clark wants to follow, but Lois tells him to stay so she won't be alone. Because, you know, she can take care of herself, but only if Clark is there to protect her. Since the man is already out of sight, Clark agrees, and the two drive on, arriving at the bridge about a half an hour later. Seeing no one around, Clark figures Jenkins is running late, but Lois says she has a feeling that something is wrong. Clark then smells something burning, and realizes that it's coming from underneath the bridge. Taking a look, he sees a fuse connected to a bomb about to go off. The reporters run for their lives, narrowly getting out of range before the bomb explodes, destroying the bridge. Clark thinks the bomb was meant for them, and Lois suspects that Harris planted the bomb, and also, somehow, stopped Jenkins from coming. With no way to get back across the river, Clark says they'll go on to Gravesend. People will figure they're dead or stuck on the other side of the bridge, so they'll be able to lie low in town, as no one will be expecting them. After driving for a while, they think they are nearing Gravesend, when they see a high wall and a gate, and think it's curious that the town would be walled in. Clark stops the car, telling Lois to stay, and then goes to check it out. Once out of Lois's sight, Clark changes to Superman, and smashes through the gate. He's about to take to the skies to look for Jenkins when he sees someone coming, and quickly changes back to Clark. The man, who Clark correctly guesses is Harris, demands to know what Clark is doing, and both men soon realize who each other is. Harris then pulls a gun, intent on taking Clark to the leader. About then, though, the sound of cowbells echoes through the night, and Clark spots a figure by the gate. Clark asks who he is, and Harris responds with a sinister laugh, saying Clark will soon find out. Apparently ignoring the guy Clark saw, Harris starts to take him to see the leader when they hear a police whistle in the distance. Knowing it's Lois signaling for help, Clark runs off into the night. Harris tries shooting, and actually does hit him, but the bullets merely bounce off. Knowing Harris has nothing but trouble, Superman circles back around and knocks Harris out, and then leaps into the sky to go save Lois. When he reaches the car, he sees Lois sitting on the running board, crying. He swoops down and changes back to Clark, and Lois tells how the robed man from earlier came out of the trees, grabbed her, and shook her. Lois fought back and blew the whistle, and the guy ran off. She doesn't know what he wanted, but says he called himself Mr. Smith and said he was going to teach her not to meddle. Clark thinks Harris had something to do with it, and that it was another threat to keep them out of Gravesend. Clark says if someone is so desperate to keep them out of town, then there's only one thing to do. Find a place to stay the night, and head into Gravesend the next morning to investigate. Clark then says they'll try to get shelter with the local village elder by tricking Harris into taking them there, and head back to the gate just as Harris is coming too. Harris begs Clark not to hit him again, but Clark tells Lois he's just confused and that he got knocked out by tripping on a rock. With Harris still afraid, Clark tells him to take them to their village elder, and, not wanting trouble, Harris agrees. A few minutes later, they arrive at the house and ring the bell. 
Introductions are made, and Harris tells how Clark broke into the village and beat him up. Clark says it was all an accident that could have been avoided if Harris hadn't pulled the gun. The Elder rebukes Harris, saying he's warned him about that kind of thing before, and if it happens again, he'll strip him of his badge as constable. The Elder then tells Harris to go home, but says that first he needs to go visit the old man. Harris seems to understand and soon leaves. Once Harris is gone, both parties apologize for the commotion, and the Elder invites Clark and Lois in. Clark tells him that they're looking for a place to stay, and the Elder graciously offers them each a room. Lois starts to get dizzy, saying it must be from the long drive and the scare from the robed man. So the Elder leads them down a hall to a room so she can get some rest. Clark asks the Elder if he knows anything about a Mr. Smith, and the Elder says he's aware, and the guy is unbalanced and suffers from delusions, but is perfectly harmless. Clark asks about the wall, and the Elder just laughs, saying it was built hundreds of years ago by the first settlers in the community in order to protect the village from neighboring Indians. Finally at the room, Clark and the Elder bid Lois goodnight, and then head back down the hall as Clark asks about the location of the Pillar of Fire. The Elder says there's no such thing, and that the Pillar is nothing but a myth. Clark explains about Jenkins' letter, and that it mentioned a leader. But the Elder says he doesn't know who the leader is, and explains that the town of Gravesend is very old. Some of the buildings are as much as 300 years old, and the age of the town and the buildings leads people to come up with strange ideas and ghost stories. He assures Clark there is no pillar of fire or leader, and that the people in town are welcome to stay. Clark tells the elder how they were supposed to meet Jenkins, but the bridge blew up. The elder is shocked and starts to say perhaps Jenkins is responsible, but Clark interrupts and asks him about the people who had disappeared, but the elder can't explain any of that either. Before Clark can question further, they hear Lois screaming for help and banging on the door. They hurry back down the hall and try to get into the room, but find the door locked. Saying it's too heavy to break down, the Elder runs to get help. Now that the Elder has gone, however, Clark has no trouble using Superman to smash through the door. And he does so, only to find the windows in the room barred and Lois gone. Superman calls out for Lois, but gets no answer. Remembering what the Elder said about the house being 300 years old, he thinks there might be a secret passageway and begins tapping on the walls, finally finding one in the closet. With no time to figure out how to open it, Superman backs up to get a running start and smashes through the wall, revealing a secret passage that leads down into the earth. Superman runs down the tunnel, ultimately taking flight for even greater speed. He soon comes across the end of the tunnel and into the open, but stops startled at the sight before him a giant pillar of fire, hundreds of feet tall. Up on the cliff, he spots Smith carrying Lois over his shoulder. Superman leaps into the air, soon landing on the cliff, hidden from Smith's view by smoke. Superman calls out, demanding that Smith put Lois down. Smith still can't see him, but warns him to stay back or he'll shoot. Superman ignores the warning and charges through the smoke while the bullets from Smith's gun bounce off his chest. Thinking it's the devil himself coming after him, Smith tries to run, but gets too close to the edge and falls. Superman leaps after them, swooping in and catching them before they hit the ground or the flame. He then flies them back to safety on the cliff, and soon Lois comes to in the arms of Clark Kent. Clark tells her that if the Elder was wrong about the Pillar of Fire, he might have also been wrong about what Jenkins said, and that the Pillar actually is being used to scare the people of Gravesend.
He says Smith might be in on it, and they need to make him talk. As it happens, Smith is coming to at just that moment, and Clark demands to know what he and Harris are up to, or he'll toss him into the fire. Smith says he was taking Lois to a cavern beneath the pillar of fire because the leader wanted her to stay out of the way. Clark asks who the leader is, but Smith is too scared to talk. Clark then picks the guy up and threatens to toss him over the cliff and into the flame, and Smith finally confesses that the mysterious leader is in fact the village elder. Um, no. This, this, is, this isn't really a dun-dun-dun moment. I mean, I, re- I, re- I appreciate the effort, but, but let's try this again, okay? Clark asks who the leader is, but Smith is too scared to talk. Clark then picks the guy up and threatens to toss him over the cliff and into the flame, and Smith finally confesses that the mysterious leader is, in fact, the village elder. Really? Okay, guys, I love you, you do good work, but that's just not working for me. I'm telling you, this is not a suspenseful moment at all. He's the only other character that could have possibly been the, the, the leader. So, let's try this again. You guys can do this. I know, you're, you're really talented, and I know you can do this. So, let's try it again. Let's see, Clark asks who the leader is, blah, 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 blah. Okay, Clark then picks the guy up and threatens to toss him over the cliff and into the flame. And Smith finally confesses that the mysterious leader is, in fact, the village elder. Superman! Okay, way to think outside of the box, but Superman isn't even in this scene. Come on, folks, let's, let's put ourselves in the scene here, okay? It's the big reveal of the villain, who was totally obvious from the time they introduced him, since he was the only other character. I realize we're all tired, I realize it's late, but let's, let's really put this together, guys. Come on, we can do this, all right? One more time, with feeling. Clark, blah, 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 leader, blah, 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 throw you into the fire, blah, blah, blah. And finally, Smith confesses that the mysterious leader is the village elder. Perfect. When the bridge bombing didn't go as planned, the elder figured that he had to work fast. He'd already killed Jenkins, but Lois and Clark were still going to be trouble. After more prompting, he says the pillar of fire is fueled by natural gas, and the Elder has machinery that he uses to control it. The pillar of fire is being used to scare people into leaving so that the Elder can lay claim to the silver mine that runs below it. Clark tells Smith to lead them to the cavern to check out the mine and make sure he's telling the truth. But Smith freaks out and says the Elder and Harris are already down there, planning to turn on the machines full blast and burn up the town. Clark runs off, but not before giving Lois the gun and telling her to watch Smith. Once out of sight, Clark changes to Superman and dives through the flame into the cavern below it. Meanwhile, Harris and the Elder are prepping the machines down in the caverns. The tanks are nearing their breaking point, but the Elder demands that they build up as much pressure as possible so that the fire takes out the whole town. Much to their surprise, Superman swoops in, demanding they stop. The Elder and Harris try to run, but Superman blocks their path. Before he can deal with them further, though, the pressure in the tanks is too much, causing a huge explosion to rip through the cavern, killing both men, but leaving Superman unharmed. At the force of the explosion, the walls of the cavern also cave in. Using all of his mighty strength, Superman breaks through the tons of fallen rock in order to escape, and then leaps into the sky to rejoin Lois as Clark. When he returns, he finds Lois alone, 
She explains that Smith knew the gun wasn't loaded, having fired all the ammunition earlier, and tried to escape by climbing down the cliff, only to get caught in the explosion. With the town saved and the villains dead, Lois and Clark hurry off, hoping to find a phone and call in the story in time for the morning edition. The End On May 30th, 2011, DC Comics announced the historic renumbering of all their superhero titles, and the internet broke in half. That's impossible! Critics and naysayers abounded. Confusion reigned across fandom. What'll I do? What'll I do? What an unusual view! Not to mention the first reactions to the Supergirl costume. I hated her so much. It, it, the, it, flame, flames, flames on the side of my face, breathing, breath, heaving breaths, heaving. But then the books actually hit. And opinions... He likes it! He likes it! Opinions began to change. The New 52 Adventures of Superman is a monthly podcast where John Wilson, J. David Weider, and Michael Kaiser take a look at each of the adventures of Superman and his family of characters in Action Comics. You know the deal, Metropolis. Treat people right or expect a visit from me. The Superman who appeared six months ago could hurdle skyscrapers and toss trucks around. Now it's faster, now it's stronger. How soon before it can't be stopped? Superboy. If resolving a situation for him is going to get me out from under these people once and for all, that's a small price to pay for freedom. Release the Superboy. Supergirl. Okay. Giant metal creatures. Falling from the sky. Speaking in clicks and beeps. Father would love this dream. And Superman. You could do so much good. We could do so much good. I am doing good, Lois. Clark's such a loner. Never really lets anyone get close to him. The New 52 Adventures of Superman. Available the first of every month on iTunes and at new52superman.libson.com. So we've got our regular cast this time out, with Bud Collier as Superman and Clark Kent, Joan Alexander as Lois Lane, and Julian Noah as Perry White. Unfortunately, I don't know who played anyone else. I I think from now on, I'm going to skip over listing the cast in each set of episodes unless there's a, a significant cast change or I happen to know who played a certain role. We've got our principal cast set for the time being with Bud Collier, Joan Alexander, Julian Noah, and Jackie Kelk. And I don't really have much information on the one-shot characters. So it just seems to me there's little use repeating those each and every time. Uh, but to get into the notes, episode 76, once again our story is kick-started by Perry White getting wind of a story and sending Clark out of town. I've complained about this before, and I still hope it changes soon, so I won't go on about it again. But I will add in the comment of, does the Daily Planet ever cover local news unless there's a direct threat to the planet itself? 
I mean, there's been very little indication at all that they do. I always envisioned the Daily Planet as a national newspaper. But still, something has to happen in Metropolis eventually. Uh, But I got a chuckle that the narrator, in the opening narration that I included before the synopsis, it says that Perry is about to read the letter to Lois and Clark. As if they're, you know, not literate adults capable of reading on their own. Um, one thing I thought was a neat touch, though, is that once they finally get around to actually reading the letter, it reads in not broken English, per se, but grammatically incorrect, or, or even in a voice that sounds like it was written by someone without too much education. Where is that letter that Karen spoke about, Mr. White? Oh, on my desk. Uh, here, uh, here. Read it, Kent. Oh, looks like an old man's handwriting. Dear editor, I write to you because other folks is afraid. Ever since the pillar of fire come up out of the ground in Gravesend, we have been living in fear of our lives. Three people went up to look at the flame and never come back. The leader says it's a sign that we should leave our homes and move away. But some of us ain't got the money to move. Please help us. Was that all of it? No, no, there's a bit more, Miss Lane. If you send up a reporter, have him meet me at the bridge five miles outside of town at 11 o'clock Monday night. Why, that's tonight. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, well, here's the rest of it. Don't let him come to the village if he values his life. Signed, Lee Jenkins. Well, Ken, what do you make of it? I love that the radio show throws in little touches like that to give their characters actual character and and make this feel like a real world. We do get some of that in the comic books, but not as often and not anywhere near as overt. Moving on in the story, after Lois and Clark are on their way to uh, Gravesend, I like how Lois and Clark see this guy in a white hooded robe carrying a string of cowbells. You know, he's walking down the road in the middle of the night. It's all spooky and scary. And Clark thinks he's the perfect guy to ask for directions. Really, Clark? I mean, I know you're Superman and all, but just seems very weird. Uh, but maybe super common sense isn't one of his powers yet. I don't know. Superman's powers are really unusually portrayed in this storyline, since we're on a, a powers note. He really strains breaking the lock on the gate outside of Gravesend. Now, granted, he said it was a foot thick, which seems a little unreasonable, but whatever. And this is skipping ahead, but he he really seems to struggle when he's digging his way out of the cavern in the final episode, you know, when when it caves in there after the explosion. It kind of makes me wonder if the writers weren't trying to add some drama by by making it a little bit tougher for Superman in certain situations. Maybe it wasn't a conscious depowering, but that's kind of what it feels like. Um, And I want to keep an ear on this on future episodes to see if that continues, or if maybe it was just something in this particular storyline. But skipping ahead to episode 77, in the opening narration to this episode, we find out that Harris's first name is Bill, It has no effect on the story one way or the other, but I think that this is the only place that they say his first name, which I found kind of strange. And this has actually happened a time or two before where they will reveal a name or a a place in the opening narration, but it never actually makes its way into the story itself, which is kind of a, a weird 
oddity, I guess you might call it, that, that doesn't really happen in the comic books. But then again, they don't really have the narration. Duh. But anyway, you would think the writers would try to figure out a way to work that name into the story as well, you know? Uh, there's no mention in, in this episode that Clark saw the robed man again at the end of last episode, so I guess that's either a mistake or we are to assume the man disappeared in the short space between the episodes and, and went to harass Lois. It's just odd that they would put him in until, at the end of last episode and then not mention him at all again. Other than, of course, it, it you know, up the tension of the cliffhanger. Uh, but that's all I really had for this episode. Um, the downside of this storyline being only three episodes is that they had a lot less space to spread out the talking heads. So this ends up being, you know, this episode ended up being a lot of talky, talky, talky. Clark is there, but Superman only appears very briefly, um, about 20 seconds at the end of the episode, just long enough to break through the door and into Lois's room. Um, you know, I, I don't, hmm, let's see if I can say this, uh, right. I don't mind that Superman isn't in every episode, and in fact, I would rather he not be than them try to squeeze him in like they've had to do sometimes. But at the same time, it is the Superman radio show, and I would like to see more of Superman than him just showing up in the final climax. I don't know, I guess it's a very difficult a very difficult thing to balance in this era when, you know, they didn't have the uh, type of expansive mythology to play with and you know, they do keep sending Clark out of town, so they have to make use of him all the time. They just can't have have him disappear for a story for a while and Superman doing his adventure through town. You know, they have to actually have Clark there with Lois or Jimmy or whoever it is. Uh, but on to episode 78, our final episode. Another odd use of Superman's power at the top of this episode. Instead of using his X-ray vision, which he has demonstrated several times on the radio show to find the secret passageway... Superman spends a lot of time tapping on the walls. The storyline has a lot of odd quirks like that with Superman's powers, which, like I said, I don't know if it was an intentional thing, if they were trying to, uh, you know, add some drama by maybe consciously or or subconsciously dropping his power levels a little bit, Uh, but I want to keep an eye on that, and and even despite the little quirky stuff, I still enjoyed the storyline quite a bit. Speaking of powers, though, just to keep on that note for a minute, I did like how he initially started uh, running down the tunnel and then opted to fly so he could go faster. They haven't made a lot of use of his super speed on the show beyond the idea that he can fly really fast, so it was nice seeing him use his brain on that point. And it's a really cool scene, too. As his dialogue ends, you hear the whistling sound that they used to indicate his flight, and then the narrator over the top of it. Yes, this is it. Hollow. No time to waste looking for the panel release. I'll have to break right through. Back to give me a good start. Then forward. Ah. Ah. I'm through. I was right. This passage only goes in one direction. The people that took Miss Lane must have come through here. No time to lose. If I ever had to race against time, I've got to now. This passage seems to be going down into the earth. Uh, No one in sight yet. Faster. Faster before they get away. Faster. Through the underground passages of Gravesend, Rock is a weird figure. Red cloak streaming in the wind. Superman races to the rescue of Lois Lane. 
Suddenly he comes to the end of the tunnel and out into the open. He stops short, momentarily startled by the sight that greets his eyes. A solid sheet of orange flame leaping hundreds of feet into the air. Great Scott, look at that flame. Must be the pillar of fire. It's just a very nice and kind of very exciting moment in the show. They've been using it since the beginning, but I got to thinking here, I like how they keep using the phrase, red cape streaming in the wind, when Superman is flying. It provokes a very vivid and very visual uh, picture, especially with the flying sound below it, which is really important in radio, since this is all audio and you don't have the dynamic images to go along with it. Uh, Kind of along the same note, at least as far as sound effects go, An unexpected benefit of the poor quality of these episodes is that the static provides a soft crackling sound that made it for a good substitute for the lack of uh, sound effects for the Pillar of Fire. Even though you have the crackling through the entire episode, it it was especially uh, useful, I guess you might call it, in that particular scene. I, I really enjoyed Clark being more proactive in dealing with Smith in this episode. To be fair, it was probably a little over the top, but it's a huge contrast to Clark's portrayal in the comics and newspapers, which rarely has ever been anything close to that. At a certain point here, you actually could believe that Clark would toss this guy off the cliff and into the flame, even though you know in your brain that you know he's a hero and he's not going to do that, except for in the comics where he has killed people for no reason. But they were evil, so I guess it doesn't count, he said with air quotes that you can't see. Uh, But in the end, all the bad guys die, and in the immortal words of Batman, a fitting end for their kind. Mr. Kent! Mr. Kent, where are you? Here I am, Miss Lane. Got back as soon as I could. Oh, that terrific explosion up there. I was afraid. What happened? That explosion was the end of the pillar of fire and the silver mine. Blown up. Buried deep in the earth. I saw it with my own eyes. Oh, good heavens. Say, where's old man Smith? He knew the gun wasn't loaded. He fired all the cartridges. He only had three, and when you left, he started to scramble down the rocks, and he caught an explosion. Oh, it was terrible. Well, anyway, they got their just desserts. Their loss is the town's gain. Now the people of Gravesend will be able to live in peace. Yeah, and the Daily Planet will have a swell story. Say, we better find a telephone and call Mr. White. Yeah, that's right. Ah, golden age justice. You've got to wonder, though, what the town thinks the next morning when they wake up. I mean, the town elder is gone, the constable is gone, the crazy guy with the cowbells is gone, the bridge is, you know, seemingly the only way to get in or out of the town is destroyed. At least the Gravesend Gazette will have plenty of news, I guess. Overall, I liked the storyline a lot. It was a smaller story, but it had a, a nice mystery and wasn't overly complex, which is fine. I poked fun of it in the synopsis, the the revelation that the town elder was the leader, the quote-unquote leader, was was pretty obvious since there weren't that many characters here that we were dealing with, but I still enjoyed it. You know, it it didn't need to be longer, and I think it would have been a mistake trying to pad this out to six episodes. Um, It's nice to get these smaller storylines once in a while, kind of like in, well, I was going to say modern comics, but maybe not modern as in today, but modern as in, you know, uh, late 80s to, to mid 90s, you would, you'd have a big storyline and then you'd have a, an issue or two that's a little off the beaten path before you launched into the next storyline. Uh, but I like this a lot. I can see this one playing well in live action maybe, 
as part of a serial or an episode of the television show, the, the George Reeves show. And it would work well in animation, too, maybe even better because it would be easier to produce this big, menacing tower of flame and actually make it look good, which they obviously couldn't have done with the serial or, or TV show budgets back in the 50s. Unfortunately, or perhaps fortunately, depending on your view of the character, this is the last time that we'll see Lois on the radio for several storylines. Joan Alexander was actually fired from the role following this storyline. She said in a mid-60s interview that the producers let her go because they just didn't like her. And it makes me wonder if their pickiness over Lois had anything to do with the fact that we've had three actresses in the role, uh, possibly four if you count the audition episodes. In any event, Joan Alexander will quite obviously be back, so we can talk about her return when that happens, which will be in a storyline that we're probably going to be covering in June or July, if I am remembering my schedule right. Uh, if you want to hear these three short episodes, they've unfortunately never been released, but like all the radio show, are available at a variety of places across the internet. And it was adapted into the September 1941 cover-dated issue of Radio and Television Mirror. Unfortunately, I don't have that issue, so I can't tell you how much of the storyline they included. But given that this was a shorter storyline, I'd say it's pretty likely they, they actually got most of it this time. Because, you know, two and a half or three episodes is about what they trim the stories down to. In January 1937, President Franklin Roosevelt realized the world faced the greatest threat it has ever known, so he sent out a message. Get me H. Kilroy! Soldier of fortune and all-around adventurer Ace Kilroy set off on his first mission to head to Transylvania and stop the Nazis from turning Count Dracula and his vampire slaves into pawns of the Third Reich. While in Transylvania, East Kilroy learned that vampires are real and narrowly escaped danger and death at every turn. Ace had to form an uneasy partnership with the Prince of Darkness in order to stop the Nazis' plan. And while they were successful, it ended with Ace swearing that someday he will find Dracula again and wipe him off the face of the earth. Ace has now returned to America for a well-deserved vacation, but he won't get to rest up for long. FDR has given him a new assignment, this time involving Frankenstein's monster. Ace Kilroy, the online daily comic strip, was launched on Halloween night in 2011 and has featured a new black-and-white strip every day with an extra-large color supplement on Sundays. The co-creation of writer-artists Rob Kelly and Dan O'Connor, Ace Kilroy quickly gained notoriety and rave reviews from such critics as The Onion AV Club, Robot 6, and Geekadelphia. With Ace about to head off on another dangerous mission, he needs your help. Via Kickstarter, pledge a donation to the Ace Kilroy fundraising campaign and help ensure Ace can continue in his fight against evil. There you can sign up to be a member of Ace's Allies, receive special limited edition Ace Kilroy merchandise, original art, and be among the first to receive Ace Kilroy Volume 1, featuring the complete story arc, plus unseen bonus art and behind-the-scenes material. 
Follow Ace Kilroy every day on acekilroy.com. enjoy time travel in general and the Silver Age of comic books in particular? If so, join me each week on the Superman Fan Podcast. My name is Billy Hogan and I will be your host. Together we'll crash through the time barrier and fly into the past to explore the Silver Age adventures of Superman. One week we will take a look at the Superman family of titles, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, World's Finest Comics, and soon, Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane. The next week, we will feature the Man of Steel's titles, Superman, and Action Comics, which will include the Supergirl stories during her run in the back of that title. You can join me each week on Wednesday or Thursday at the supermanfanpodcast.blogspot.com, which is available on iTunes. And your emails are always welcome at supermanfanpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to wear your red indestructible cape. Well, folks, that wraps us up for another episode. And I want to thank you, as always, very much for joining me. Next week will be another of our fifth week episodes where we'll actually be looking at something that I missed several episodes ago. So if you want to come and listen to the uh, one of the quote-unquote rare times that I make a mistake, be here next week. Before then, though, I want to mention that last, uh, the weekend before last, I was invited to be a guest on episode 136 of From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. Michael Bailey and Jeffrey Taylor invited me on for part two of their epic coverage of Reign of the Superman, where we looked at Superman Volume 2, Number 78, and Adventures of Superman, 501, which saw the debuts of two beings claiming the mantle of Superman in the wake of the Man of Steel's death at the hands of the monster Doomsday. It was a really fun recording session, and, and you should be listening to From Crisis to Crisis anyway, because it's an awesome show. So head on over to the Superman homepage or the Superman Podcast Network and check it out. Once again, that was episode 136. I had a lot of fun, and I'm thankful the guys sent me on, uh, sent me the invite. But as for this show, I want to remind you, just like I do every episode, to stop by the website for show notes as well as any back episodes of the show you might have missed. If you'd like to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any future episodes, you can do so via the RSS feed or the iTunes link, and links to both of those can be found at greatcrypton.com as well. I welcome any feedback you have on the show, so feel free to shoot me an email to thrillingadventures at greatcrypton.com, and you can find the show on both Facebook and Twitter. Follow the show on either site and get a post on your wall or your feed when I have new episodes, and you can also send me messages that way. Another reminder about the Superman homepage and a Superman podcast network where you'll find updates about this show, uh, my appearance on From Crisis to Crisis, and all sorts of other Superman-related news and podcasts. And lastly, on a non-Superman note, I invite you to check out my other podcast, Green Lantern's Light, which I co-host with J. David Weeder and Jeffrey Taylor, where we are all about Green Lantern. 
And it's a really great time on the show because we're just getting into a really awesome era of the books. So get on board now. As always, Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster and is copyright DC Comics. So thanks again for listening to the Thrilling Adventures of Superman. And I will talk to you later. Goodbye. What time is it, Miss Lane? It's uh, just 10.30 p.m. How far are we from that bridge? Oh, about 10 miles, if we're on the right road. I wish I was sure. Maybe you'd better stop and look at that map. Ah, good idea. Ah, let's have a look here. Well, here we are. Yeah. We turned left at the forks there. Ah, this must be the road. Oh, what's that? Oh, just cowbells. Probably a farm nearby. Oh. Yes, I'm certain this is the road, all right. We'll keep going. Listen, Mr. Kent. That sound's coming closer. Oh, forget it. It's only cowbells. No, it isn't. Look down that road. That white shadow. Somebody walking in this direction. Coming into the beam of our headlights. Well, it's an old man. Well, that's lucky. We'll ask him how far we are from the bridge. He's carrying a string of bells in his hands. Look how he's dressed. Yeah, long hooded robe. Well, that's an odd costume for a man to be wearing. Mr. Kent, I'm scared. Uh, pardon me, mister. Can you tell us whether this road leads to the Gravesend Bridge? Guess what? I got a fever. And the only prescription is more cowbell. <laughs> Look, he's walking into the woods. <laughs>